Okay, so we're in a series. Uh, if you're visiting us, we're in the middle of a series. We're doing a series on the church's culture, what it is to have a culture. You, there is an old joke, which I suppose no one has yet said, so I better say it. And that is, what's the difference between a yogurt and Australian? A yogurt has a culture. Oh, dear. Whoa. I can say that now because Gary's not with us anymore. <laughs> Actually, I told that to Gary and he thought it was hilarious. So that's, that's okay. I'm happy to tell you that joke now. Good. Well, you're not, not very um, laughterful except for Anil. Thank you, Anil, for laughing at the joke. So we'll press on. I, this, this week's sermon title, if you've looked at your sermon card, is... Honour. We're looking at a culture of honour, honouring one another, and today it is hindrances and helps to honouring one another. Last week, if you remember, we looked at how to honour one another. The how to, uh, and Anil sent round to home groups, you may or may not have used them, 40 ways, 40 ways to honour people. That is... 39 ways more than you've already thought of. So that's great news. You can have a look at that list and see how you can honour people. I put myself down to do this session this week because um, I'm the one who need it most. So let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word and help us now as we look at what it is to honour one another. Help us to see more of this, Lord, in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I'll just start with an overview. Okay, that sounds good, doesn't it? An overview, which means we're going to look over things in a summary form, and then I'm going to look at two scriptures, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, about hindrances and helps to honouring. Okay, so what are the main hindrances, do you think, to honouring one another? What are the main things that cause you to stumble or not think about honouring one another? I think the first thing is you don't actually recognise other people have any gift. You know, you sort of live life in this sort of dream world if you're like me. Are you like me? And you, you live, in, and you don't really, it doesn't register with you that other people have some gifts that are really good and really helpful to the life of the church and even to you as an individual, you don't really recognise it. That's the first hindrance. Another hindrance is jealousy of others who have got a gift and you think, ooh, I would like to be like that, or you think other people are recognising their gift, and you've got the same gift, and people aren't talking to you about your gift, so you get jealous. There's, there's jealousies that can arise between people because of gifts and because of things that could be honoured in one another. So we don't honour because we're jealous. Here's another hindrance, that we're stuck in our assessment of other people. We don't give them room to change, so we don't honour what God is doing in their life because we don't give them room 
to change in our head. In our head, they're still the same as they've always been. <clears throat> so they've changed, and God's doing things in their life, and we don't honour it because we're stuck. You know, you can think, yeah, that's me, that's me, but there are reasons, aren't there, why we're like this. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons, of course, is laziness. That's me. I'm lazy at this. Lack of effort, lack of thoughtfulness, being, just being lazy about thinking about other people. Are you lazy? It's, it's terribly quiet in here today. What's, what's gone wrong? Are you guys sort of, what is it? October, is that the problem? You know, talk to me. Are you lazy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. We take other people's gifts for granted, don't we? We don't honour them for what they do. Don't even begin to talk to Jackie about this, okay? Do not even think that over coffee, you will ask Jackie about what she thinks of my thoughtfulness about her. It can be a problem, can't it? Our lack of thoughtfulness. I say, but you know I love you. But it's not good enough unless it's said, is it? It's no good being up here, it's got to be said. I'm terrible at this. I think it, but I don't say it. So I think good things about people, but I don't say them. Are you like that? You know, I think, I think, you know, like last week, see, I thought Emma coped with uh, the disasters that happened in the worship team last week extremely well. Did I tell her that I thought she coped extremely well? No. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we all can suffer from. And as I said at the beginning, I'm pointing the finger at me as much as you. And so, taking other people for granted. We can also fail to honour and encourage one another because we are discouraged ourselves and we feel ignored ourselves and, you know, we get the grumps. Nobody loves me. There's an Eric Clapton song. I'm almost bursting, into, bursting forth now. Nobody loves you when you're down and out. Well, we can feel like that, can't we? Nobody loves me. Uh, because we are feeling discouraged and it will hinder. So what's our help? What's a good help? Well, there's a verse. I've got to the Bible. Yay! Uh, there's a verse, Romans 12. And in Romans 12, verse 10, it tells us something very interesting. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Do you know on this 
this, uh, this trip to Russia that we did last month, um, I learned for the first time that for 25 years I've been blasting through Russian culture with English culture without realizing it. You know, for 25 years I have been greeting Russian women. You might think, so? And worse, I've been greeting Russian women with a, once I know that is, with a hug and a kiss. Like I would, you know, like I would anyone. Well, not Anil, but <laughs> any, you know, like I would anyone. A hug and a kiss. This came to light because Jackie said to me, have you noticed how I don't get welcomed? Yes, Jackie doesn't get welcomed. The men speak to me, but they don't speak to her. And I thought, do you know I've never noticed this? Because I'm lazy up here. But I'd never noticed that. And they don't. And we tried it out. We tested it out next place, you know. No. Even somewhere where she's been before. You know, we went into Rosa Church in Moscow, and there we were walking up the steps into this church, and the welcome team on the door welcomed me effusively. Guys are saying, oh, great to see you in Russian, and hugging me and everything. And Jackie just had to sort of walk along behind me. So we asked, we asked someone about this, and they said, oh, no, it's not rude. So we said, yes, it is. <laughs> oh, no, it's not rude. They said, that's, that's how we are. So they said, when, so we said, well, when, I said, when I hug people and give them a kiss, oh, they said, we forgive you, because <laughs> we know you're English. But you must, you know, you would not do that as a Russian man. Oh, it's not that we don't like Jackie. It's just that that's how we are. Now, why hadn't I noticed that? See, 25 years and I've not noticed it. It's because everyone smiles and, you know, accepts it. And the babushkas love having a hug. And I can tell you, that, you know, the little old babushkas, they just hold their arms out to you. Isn't that strange? So, love one another with brotherly affection. Whatever that means in your culture. Outdo one another in showing honour. Outdo one another in showing honour. Other, <coughs> other translations have a stronger version still. Have a competition over it. Have a competition in showing honour. We can have a competition in showing honour. So I think that would be a good idea, don't you? We have a competition in showing honour. We could have a monthly honourer of the month. Someone who really has demonstrated 
a tremendous increase in honouring during that month. Can you imagine that? You all think you're back at school now, don't you? The main help, of course, is to be intentional about your thankfulness. That's the main thing. Be intentional about your thankfulness. Don't just let it drift. Don't just think, Emma did well, didn't she? And not say anything. Kick yourself into action. Go around after the meeting. Kicking yourself into action. Don't drop your coffee. So, let's look at this. 1 Kings. Hope you've got a Bible. Do you know they, they produce these things now? You know, like this with, with paper and pages. Did you know that? Ooh, very exciting. I've got one here. You too can have one. So, uh, 1 Kings 19. And I'll just read a bit and then we'll talk about it. So, verse 9. Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not <coughs> in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets <coughs> with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it over. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, etc. And he gets told a lot of other things he's got to do. Well, we know the story, don't we? Elijah has just had this extraordinary experience where he's been on Mount Carmel and he's called on God and uh, with the, the altar and the, the oxen and the water all around the altar and the soaked, I mean, they soaked the place. You know, it looked like Hurricane Matthew had hit it. It was soaked <coughs> and God responded to Elijah's prayer. One of the most dramatic, extraordinary, 
interventions of God in human history, apart from the virgin birth, was happening here in Elijah's life. All these foreign gods and foreign prophets had done nothing. They'd whipped themselves into frenzies all day and nothing had happened. But when Elijah spoke and said, God, show the proof of your name, boom! There was this response. And what had happened was that Elijah, in the adrenaline drop, presumably after this event, I mean, he, he must have been so extraordinarily impacted himself that afterwards he did this incredible drop, this plummet uh, of emotional energy, plummeting. And uh, he's, he's vulnerable and he allows himself to be vulnerable. He lets himself be vulnerable to the threats from Jezebel. He allows himself to fall under those threats and he begins to feel very sorry for himself. Oh, woe. He's just seen the most extraordinary intervention of God. His God has just proved to the nations who he really is. By Elijah, he's gone down the tubes. He's got into whinge mode. And he's in this whinge mode. And he goes off and says, oh, take my life. I, it's no, I don't want to live anymore. Oh, I'm fed up with life. Everyone's against me. I don't know what I'm doing. He just got himself in such a state. And he got on this traveling through the desert. And even there, an angel of the Lord, which is usually, of course, an Old Testament term for Jesus, appears to him and gives him food and says, come on, get up, eat, drink. Oh, okay. And he doesn't say, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, God is with me. He just says, oh, okay, and carries on. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And so there he is, <coughs> and God speaks to him, and God says to him, what are you doing here? Why are you in this discouraged place? You know, what on earth are you thinking and doing? What are you doing? What's brought you out here? You know, as if God doesn't know. You know, sometimes I think we think God doesn't know, you know? God's not aware that you feel fed up. If you said to God, I'm fed up, do you know what God would say? I know. I'm fed up with life and the pressure of life. I know, God would say. And so he says that to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Instead of Elijah saying, oh God, I'm so glad you're with me. I'm so glad you're here. Isn't it terrific to be together on the adventure of life? No, Elijah says, winger, winger. 
Everyone's against me. They've killed all the prophets. And I notice this. How he emphasizes this. And I, even I only, am left. He's convinced himself there's no other prophet in the land. He's convinced himself there's no other God followers in the land. I, he says to the great Lord God who knows everything, I, even I, only me, are left. And God doesn't, and they seek my life to take it away, to boot, you know? So, isn't it amazing that he can say that to God and God doesn't reply immediately in the way you might expect. God just says to him, go stand. God is going to remind him who he serves. Go stand. Stop sitting down there. Get yourself up. Go stand. And then God does this incredible display of power, which must have been terrifying, absolutely terrifying. As this wind comes, that must have been substantially more powerful than Hurricane Matthew, and hits this place where Elijah is, and rocks start flying through the air. And it seems like the mountain is being split asunder by this incredible wind, and then there's an earthquake. <coughs> you know, just when he's thinking it can't get worse, the ground starts shaking under him as these rocks start flying around. No wonder he's, in the, he's still inside the cave. God is at work. And then when that's finished, in the middle of this barren place, suddenly, like before, just to remind him of a little while ago, there is fire! Whoa! Fire! God's not in those things. God's in this small whisper that follows. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance and God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Oh, man. Poor Elijah. Even now, he doesn't change his tune. Even now, he says the same stuff. He repeats the same stuff. He can't understand it. <laughs> and so... God speaks to him directly. Verse 18. Oh, we didn't reach that. Verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him, 7,000 people 
7,000 people, Elijah, that you have failed to honor. But God knows. God knew there were 7,000 people in farms and hillside towns and across across the land. He knew there were 7,000 people who stayed firm like Elijah, who never bowed the knee to Baal. And Elijah, because he was so depressed, because he was so under uh, this condemnation, because he didn't see what God saw. He didn't seek what God knew. He didn't ask God, Lord, how many are left in the land? He didn't, he didn't never ask that question. He just assumed he was the only one left because on that, on that mountain with the prophets of Baal, it had been him alone. But around the countryside, 7,000 people. God knew and God honoured them in this moment before Elijah. And God knows who you are. God knows where you stand before him. God knows how close you are to him God knows how rebellious you've been to him. God knows how much you love him. God knows how much you look to Jesus for your salvation. God knows. He could walk into this room today and say there are however many believers in this room. He knows the hearts of men. He knows our minds, he knows our thinking, and he honours those who are deserving of that honour, who've received the grace of God. And it's a deserving we don't deserve, isn't it? It's an honouring by God we don't deserve. We do not deserve any of this grace that's come to us. But grace has come to us, and we now know a new relationship with the Lord. The sort of relationship, actually, which allows you to stand at the entrance of a cave in the presence of God himself, and you can cover your eyes and cover your whatever, and God speaks. It's a relationship where we can stand and hear the voice of God in our lives. What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) You shouldn't even be here. It's like, a thief's GPS. You know, Elijah's GPS had taken him to a cave. And the GPS voice is saying, go back. <laughs> what are you doing here? Turn round, go back. This isn't your place. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing. This is not your life. <clears throat> your life is as a prophet of the living God. Go back. And God says to him, go back. Go, return on your way. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel. He says, look, there are things for you to do. Get on with it. Wake up. Wake up. 
there are people you need to honour now. There are people you need to publicly honour now. There are people you need to gather beside you and honour them for their calling. There'll be one Elisha. The son of Shaphat. Always makes me slightly laugh, that name. Shaphat? If you were called Shaphat, you'd change your name, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? (laughs) (coughs) So, he's got a job to do. He's got to honour some people himself. Go and anoint. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen, etc. And he goes and does all that God's called him to do. He returns. He, he gives his GPS the kick and he gets hold of the Spirit of God and does what he's called to do and honours people. And I wonder how he felt about missing 7,000 believers. <laughs> Only 7,000. Oh, Elisha, you must have had your eyes shut. Elijah, rather. must have had your eyes shut if you didn't see or notice these people. But God knows. And God knows who you are and he honours you. He honours you by saving you. He honours you by taking hold of your life. He honours you by guiding you. Everything God does honours you as a son and daughter of the living God. So let's look at the New Testament now, shall we? And I've got an incident in Luke, and it's Luke chapter 4. And... uh, Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. Jesus is coming back from the wilderness. He's been anointed by the Spirit. Uh, He's been baptised and and anointed, and he's gone through this temptation. And uh, this extraordinary 40 days in the wilderness. And begins his ministry. And verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and as was his custom, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. He went to, first of all, Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. This is the crucial point. Where he'd been brought up. These people in Nazareth knew who Jesus was. They knew his family. They knew his mum and dad. They knew all about him. They watched him grow up. Many of them presumably had seen him from a little top, you know, so we have our little two-year-old Elna with us this weekend and she's gorgeous and she totters about talking incessantly, chattering away. And uh, presumably Jesus went through this phase as well. Jesus was a two-year-old at one point, chattering incessantly, tottering about. Have you ever thought of that? Interesting. Excuse me, this is going to be terrible on the tape. So... Verse 22, is not this Joseph's son? You see, the hindrance to their honouring of Jesus was that they thought they knew who he was. They couldn't respond to him properly because they thought they knew who he was. He's this guy, you know, who used to kick a ball about when he was 12, if they did. When were balls invented? Anyone? When was football invented? Did that force him? Anyway. They knew Jesus. As a bloke. As a teenager. Probably some of them have wondered who he was going to marry. Probably there were some mums of eligible daughters in Nazareth who quite fancied the idea of Jesus as a son-in-law. Nudge, nudge. They, they thought they knew who he was, but the problem for them was that he had met with God in the wilderness and he'd come back totally different. He'd changed. Now, of course, he was always God. And, of course, he was always the Lord. And even as he was growing up, he was obviously special and people knew he was special. His understanding of the word of God amazed people. So there's obviously something about him, yet at the same time he was just an ordinary boy 
There was this mixture of the divine and the human in Jesus all the time. And it gets to this point when Jesus is anointed for his ministry. It's time for his ministry to start. And so the Holy Spirit is given to him, anoints him. He's away, goes through all this temptation stuff in the wilderness. He comes back, it says, it says he comes back in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He was different now. Now it was ministry time. Now they were to see the Son of God in action. But it's Joseph's son. They couldn't receive. They couldn't honour Jesus because they hadn't given him the opportunity to be different. So that when he said, today, now, it was a great announcement. Here he is taking this prophecy in Isaiah, (coughs) reading this prophecy in Isaiah and saying to them, today, now, here in this synagogue, before your very eyes, in this little village in the Middle East, this is happening now. And they said, it's Joseph's son. It can't be. And then, of course, he challenges them and says to them, you're going to say, do the same, prove it then. Prove it. Go on then, prove it. If this is true, to quote the well-known phrase when I was a school kid, oh yeah, you and whose army? Jesus is not honoured by them. And he says, you're not going to honour me, are you? You're not going to honour me because the proverb's true, not in your hometown. And then he takes that picture and makes it international. Which is, of course, Jesus' whole role was is to take the history of Israel and make it international. And he takes this and personal thing and he makes it national. And he says, look, Israel had all these widows, but there was only one and she wasn't in Israel. Had all these lepers and there was only one and he wasn't in Israel. And he's prefiguring and pointing the Old Testament out to them and saying, look, in the Old Testament it was prefigured that I would not be received by my own people, but I will be received by the world. And they didn't like it. And they failed to honour him. Because they didn't know he could change. They didn't realise he could change. They didn't see that he'd changed. They didn't feel that authority and glory and power. Now let me go from Jesus to my own experience. 
and um, many, many years ago, there's a, a young man called Phil, and he came on a trip to Russia with me uh, many years ago because his dad said, can I bring my son Phil with me? And I said, yeah, of course, let's, let's, let's do that. Um, I can't remember how old he was, actually. 16, 17, maybe. Uh, anyway, so we had a great time and a good laugh together. And then came their departure. They were going a day before me for some... I can't remember why, but anyway. So they left. The next night in the middle of the night, about 3 a.m., my alarm clock starts ringing and ringing. And I, I no! Banged, banged it shut. But too late, I was awake. A certain boy called Phil had changed my alarm setting deliberately without telling me, had gone off and later on asked me how the final day had gone. Practical joker. That boy is now leading huge amounts of people has a prophetic ministry that's outstanding. His name's Phil Wilthew. And lots of you just know him as Phil Wilthew, that guy. I know him as someone in my church who was I've known since he was very small. But he's changed. Well, he might still be a practical joker. <laughs> um, but he has grown into a man of God. And as we've gone on in New Frontiers, and as we've got to the point now where uh, new apostolic teams are, are growing and developing, he is part of the Bedford one, which uh, oversees this church. And I have been in meetings now with Phil where he's prophesied over me in extraordinary ways. And it's just... He's, I, I have to, I have to honour, submit myself to this young man because of what God is doing in his life. It's not that I do it unwillingly, I, I do it willingly <clears throat> because I see great things in him. I could be jealous, I could be thinking, ooh, blow, I used to prophesy like that. Or I could think, He's John's son. Surely. He's just John's son. No, I want to honour him for what God's done in his life. These, these Nazarenes, they try to throw Jesus down the, down the uh, cliff. They wouldn't 
allow for change. So as we look at one another, let us allow for change. And then what about these Capernaum, I don't know what to call them, Caperniumites, capers, maybe. <laughs> capers? Look, the capers were different. The Capernaum people were different. His word possessed authority. Isn't it interesting? All spoke well of him and marveled, they said in Nazareth. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that coming from his mouth. In Capernaum, they said, he speaks with authority. There was a difference. Straight away, there's a difference. Oh, he's gracious. No, Capernaum, it's he speaks with authority. His word possesses authority. And verse 37, reports about him, went out into every place in the surrounding region. No, no reports about him from Nazareth, or if any there were, would be, you know, here is the news, Jesus tried, they tried to throw Jesus down a cliff. But in Capernaum, they sent messages all over the place saying, have you met Jesus? It's amazing. Again, I just want to pick this up personally in terms of the changes in New Frontiers. I, again, this, this new apostolic team that oversees our church is, is an extraordinary development in the last couple of years, two or three years. And, um, you know, I could, I could say, oh, well, I'm Terry Virgo. I'm of Terry Virgo. I'm of Dave Holden. I'm of, you know, that generation. There is a new generation. There's a new generation, and I find myself, well, let me tell you, a few, uh, few months, a couple of years maybe ago, I... I've, sat with Simon Holly and had coffee with Simon Holly in King's Arms in Bedford one Thursday morning and we sat and had coffee and chatted about his background and my background you know there's an extraordinary anointing on some people and Simon Holly has it and PJ he'll be here in, on November the 6th to uh, oversee the change in leadership here. There's an extraordinary anointing on these people. There, I can say there is an authority. He speaks with authority for both of them, Simon and PJ. They speak with authority. You know, there might be some nuances and things that are different to Terry Virgo, but they speak with authority. And I have to submit myself to that. I don't have to. I gladly submit myself to that. There are many things that demonstrate his calling in God. And uh, for Simon and for PJ too, when we sat down, Dom and I, and talked to him about how this church is, there is a, a, a clear wisdom. And I submit myself to that. 
Thomas said to me, PJ really honours you, and he has done over um, my ministry, or honoured me on a Thursday morning, and I, I, I'm just amazed at that because it's a place of mutual honour. That's really good, isn't it? A place of mutual honour. I honour his pastoral gift. I honour his pastoring of pastors. I honour his wisdom in pastoring pastors. I can't do it like that. For Simon, I honour what he's done in terms of apostolic leadership already. And uh, tremendous anointed words of God have come from him already. He's the nearest to Terry Virgo that I've heard in preaching terms for a long time and it's just amazing what these guys are doing. Personal authority. So let's be Capernaum people, shall we? Let's be Capernaum people. Not Nazarenes. Don't let tiredness hinder you. Don't let disappointments hinder you. Don't let previous assessments of people hinder you. Let us be active, proactive in honouring one another. Whatever the gift. You know it can get silly, like you pour that coffee really well. But maybe sometimes we need to be a bit more like that. Maybe I need to kick myself across that way in order to swing the pendulum into the middle. So let's just say, let's be intentional about this. Let's drop cynicism and let's encourage people. You may think, oh, well, they've only moved a bit. Well, we encourage them. They've changed a lot. Where's... Has Sam Taylor gone home? Good there. Well, hello, Sam. Okay, I'm just going to pick her out. She's changed a lot in the time I've known her. And I want to honour her for that. I honour her for her following of God that has changed her life. Well, here's my pretty princess colouring book. Do you like it? It's for a pretty princess. She's called Elna. And uh, we've been colouring together. Uh, <coughs> we've been colouring together. And, you know, you can see here that I have done some of it. And Elna's done some of it and uh, she was getting a bit frustrated at this point there are some better ones but she has done her bit this was the flowers so is it good? do you like it? I I just think this is amazing. One of the great frustrations of being a parent 
is coloring books, isn't it? Don't, don't you find that? Because I, I want to make, I want to make it better. I want them to stay in the lines, shading between the lines. Oh, do you get like that with coloring books? No. Oh, Liz, you're a great mum. Uh, so I just, I just look at, you know. Uh, Oh no, I did that face really carefully and now look at the eyes. <coughs> and what was wrong with my colouring of the well? Did it, what was wrong? Why did it have to be gone over in black? Like that. But what do we say? Well done, Elna. Oh, that's really lovely. Well done, Elna. I want to say, well done, Elna. You scrawled all over that page really, really badly. But no, we say, well done, Elna. Well done. That's really lovely, isn't it? And she chats away whilst doing it. And it's gorgeous, because she's two. I don't expect her to be other than two. Don't expect things from me other than 68. Don't expect things from each other that people are not at. People aren't there. New Christians, younger Christians. They need time. Time to change. Let's pray. Lord, help us to honour one another in real ways. Lord, if it means us swinging the pendulum to, to do it, Lord, then help us. But we do want to be real, nevertheless, and to be real about our honouring and real about our encouragement of one another. So, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit because we trust your Spirit to prompt us and to help us. And, Lord, where we see authority, where we see spiritual gifts, Lord, help us to encourage. And where, Lord, we see simple things, that are really effective. God help us to comment in Jesus' name. Um, amen.